Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Welcome to You News. Today is Friday, June 11th. I'm Andrea Linares. Thanks so much for joining us today. President Biden and world leaders from the G7 are opening their summit today in the United Kingdom with the pandemic high on the agenda. Plus, the New York Times reporting President Trump's Justice Department seized records of at least two top Democratic members of Congress and members of their family. Prosecutors reportedly investigating who was leaking information to journalists. And on the heels of her trip to Mexico and Guatemala, Vice President Kamala Harris speaks exclusively to Univision about a border visit and response to criticism to comments during her trip, urging immigrants not to come to the U.S. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with President Biden at the G7 summit in England. The leaders of the world's wealthiest democracies are expected to pledge 1 billion doses of COVID vaccines to poor and middle-income countries today as part of a campaign to vaccinate the world by the end of 2022. Claudia Uceda has the latest details from Washington, D.C. Claudia. That's right. Today was President Joe Biden's first day at the G7 summit in England. Hours ago, the leaders of the seven richest countries in the world posed for a group photo. They were not wearing masks, but they were socially distancing. This is the first time the G7 has met in nearly two years because of the pandemic. Let's listen to what UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said before the summit started. I think there, are the, there is the potential to generate many, many millions of high-wage, high-skill jobs. And I think that is what uh, the people of, the, uh, of our countries now want us to, to focus on. They want us to be sure that we're beating the pandemic together and discussing how we'll never have a repeat of what we've seen, but also that we're building back better together. It's important to point out that Johnson embraced President Joe Biden's campaign line, Build Back Better, so it appears that Johnson is distancing himself from ex-President Donald Trump. Now, President Joe Biden wants to restore traditional diplomacy and wants to show that the era of Donald Trump is over. Today, the agenda will focus on the global economy. There will be conversations about the global tax rate aid to countries at climate change. The topics are the global recovery for COVID-19, vaccinations, and also cybersecurity. President Joe Biden is committing to donating half a billion COVID vaccine shots to poor countries. This is the biggest contribution of any country. The president says that America is a leading example. Let's listen. In times of trouble, Americans reach out to offer help and offer a helping hand. That's who we are. President Biden is meeting next week with Russian and President Vladimir Putin. Biden didn't want to tell reporters what his message to Putin will be. Right now, we don't expect President Biden and Putin holding a press conference together after that meeting ends. In Washington, I'm Claudio Seda now. Back to you. 
Thank you, Claudia, for that report from Washington, D.C. And back in Washington, D.C., the new infrastructure deal faces Democratic resistance on Capitol Hill. A group of 10 bipartisan senators announced a broad agreement on Thursday, an eight-year, $1.2 trillion plan with no tax increases. However, a number of Senate Democrats have threatened to oppose it. Criticism has grown louder as moderates urge their colleagues to show patience and Democratic leaders struggle to find a deal that can pass the 50-50 Senate. And breaking news today, the New York Times reporting new details on how the Justice Department under former President Donald Trump investigated his political enemies. Former Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr are being accused of abusing their power while they were in office. Reports allege the men used information from Apple to dig into the personal lives of members of Congress and their families. Trump-era Justice Department subpoenaed Apple for data in 2018 to hunt down the sources for stories from more than 100 accounts, including from two Democratic members of Congress and members of their family. According to the New York Times, the prosecutors were investigating who was leaking information about contacts that Trump associates had with Russian officials. Among those committee members whose data was seized, Congressman Adam Schiff. Well, I can't go into who received these uh, subpoenas or, or whose records were sought. I can't say that it was extraordinarily broad. Uh, people having nothing to do uh, with, with you know, the intelligence matters that are at least being reported on. Uh, it just shows what a broad fishing expedition it was. Uh, and, uh, and so many norms were broken in connection with this. Schiff, a vocal Trump critic, was then the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, you know, look, uh, shocked on the one hand, not surprised on the other. Uh, I did wonder, you know, for a few years with the president calling for our committee to be investigated, calling for me to be investigated, whether, you know, the department was going to do it. Uh, and, you know, certainly it looks like they were going after uh, records of the committee, including my own. Uh, what they were looking for, I still don't know. Apparently they didn't find anything. Congressman Eric Swalwell confirming he's the other committee member whose data was targeted. I'm not above the law, just like no one else is above the law. Uh, but to go after this many people, uh, boy, that feels like a Donald Trump driven investigation. And I don't have a lot of faith in his ability to fairly uh, interpret, interpret the law. According to the New York Times, the data being seized resulted in no evidence connecting Schiff or Swalwell to the leaks. But the Times reports former Attorney General Bill Barr revived the investigation when he took over the Justice Department. This is just the latest in a series of revelations that are uh, very troubling about the lengths to which this Justice Department went under President Trump. Now Schiff, Swalwell and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi are demanding an investigation. Speaker Pelosi saying, quote, these actions appear to be yet another egregious assault on our democracy waged by the former president. Transparency is essential. Senate Democratic leaders are demanding that Trump-era attorneys General Bill Barr and Jeff Sessions testify about the secret seizure of data, calling it, quote, shocking and a gross abuse of power. And breaking news from the FDA today, after weeks of review of a troubled Baltimore factory, the FDA decided that about 60 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson coronavirus vaccine produced there must be discarded because of possible contamination. Federal regulators plan to allow about 10 million doses to be distributed 
in the United States or sent to other countries, but with a warning that regulators cannot guarantee that Emergent Biosolutions, the company that operates that plant, followed good manufacturing practices. The agency has not yet decided whether Emergent can reopen the factory, which has been closed for two months because of regulatory concerns. Meanwhile, cities like D.C. and Chicago are now officially fully open, removing most restrictions. This, as the CDC reports, 64 percent of U.S. adults have received their first dose of the vaccine. Well, today, Lorraine Cáceres spoke with HHS Secretary Javier Becerra on what needs to happen to reach 70 percent before the July 4th deadline. One week into the president's National Month of Action and the CDC reporting 64% of the U.S. adult population has gotten at least one shot of the COVID-19 vaccine. U News speaking today with the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra, on what needs to happen in the next three weeks to reach the 70% goal. What, what, what I would ask of you is, is there anyone in your family who hasn't been vaccinated? And please help us get them vaccinated. That's how we'll get to the 70%. You'll have a better shot at uh, getting your relative vaccinated than I would. The biggest challenge right now is boosting numbers in southern states where vaccination rates are falling behind. In Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama, less than 50% of adults have received their first dose. Why is this happening and how? what is the plan to target these states specifically? So we're working with the governors and the local leaders in these states to try to help. We provided the vaccine. We're also providing things like mobile clinics so we can go to where these communities are versus waiting for the communities to come to us. The secretary also sending a message to concerned parents as the CDC investigates a possible link between COVID vaccines and myocarditis or inflammation of the heart in younger people. While still considered rare, officials say they found at least 226 cases in vaccinated people under the age of 30, higher than what's expected in the general population. Well, the good news that we see a lot of teens getting vaccinated. And we, the other good news is that while we are monitoring any signs of trouble mm. uh, uh, from the vaccines, so far what we've seen is that the evidence shows that it, it, the vaccine is safe and it's effective. The other news that should help us get more of our teens vaccinated is the fact that today, among the populations that are most now contracting COVID-19 and becoming ill, and in some cases hospitalized, young people. And so if there's a young person out there who thinks that because they're young and invincible that they're not susceptible to COVID-19 and the effects of COVID-19 from hospitalization to possibly death, then take a look at the facts. And it's time for us to all be vaccinated. And when it comes to younger children, the secretary says that there is still no clear timeline on when vaccines will be available. The focus right now is to conduct a detailed analysis and take all the safety precautions before those vaccines become available for children younger than 12. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that interview. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has updated its guidance for unvaccinated children returning to sports this summer. The pediatricians recommend unvaccinated children should still wear masks for indoor activities, outdoors, 
Unvaccinated athletes should wear masks on the sidelines and, if possible, anytime they are in sustained contact within three feet of others. Children and teenagers who have not been active during the pandemic should make a gradual return to sports. Two people returning from a trip on a cruise ship have tested positive for COVID-19. Officials say the two shared a room on the Celebrity Millennium. The cruise line says they don't have any symptoms and are currently in isolation. The tests were given during a required end of cruise test. Earlier this week, the parent company of Celebrity Cruise Lines, Royal Caribbean Group, tweeted the Millennium was the first ship to sail with guests from North America. All passengers and crew were fully vaccinated prior to the trip, which set sail from St. Martin on Saturday. Income inequality has been an increasingly pressing topic in the U.S., especially during the pandemic that has seen the top 1% grow exponentially richer as millions of people struggle with economic uncertainty. Now a new ProPublica investigation paints a much clearer picture of the expanding wealth gap. After reporters gained access to a trove of IRS data on years of tax returns belonging to many of the nation's wealthiest people. Joining us now is one of those ProPublica reporters, Paul Keel. Welcome to You News. Thank you. So talk to us about the big picture. What did digging through all of that IRS data tell you about how the rich keep getting richer? Well, the thing that really struck us was looking at, you know, from stepping back and looking at just how little tax the wealthiest American paid I saw the light compared, on. compared to the to the vastness of their of their wealth. Um, so, the you know, we found, I mean, first there we found years where people like Elon Musk paid zero dollars in income tax in 2018. You know, the CEO of Tesla now the second richest person uh, in America. Um, Jeff Bezos uh, had a couple of years where he paid zero in tax, but even uh, taking you know years where they paid some tax, if you compare that to how much their wealth was growing in that time period, so how much you know their fortunes were increasing, you know Jeff Bezos from increase in price of, of Amazon stock, we found that the top 25 uh, richest Americans had their wealth increased by about $400 billion from 2014 to 2018 and paid uh, about $13.6 billion in federal income tax, which is about a rate of around 3%. Uh, and we think that gives a much clearer picture of how you know, the very wealthiest are, are taxed or rather not taxed uh, in America. As you just noted, your investigation names a lot of well-known billionaires, including Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. What details do you think the average person would be most shocked to learn related to how this group ends up avoiding paying taxes, like you just mentioned? Right, yeah. So one of the most things, things that was most striking to us is that when you have a vast store of wealth like that, you have the opportunity to borrow against your wealth. So you have banks lining up around the block who are willing to give you a cheap loan um, against you know your shares and, and this and this company, and so they have they have access to uh, very cheap credit, and they can that is one way that they can tap into their wealth in a way that wouldn't show up on their tax returns. Um, I think in general, some people might understand intellectually that it doesn't matter how rich you are; it matters how much income you put um, on your taxes. That in this country we tax we tax income and not wealth, but it's a whole other thing to you know see examples of billionaires paying you know zero dollars in federal income tax because that just doesn't happen to people who have wages um you know wages are very easy to tax they're very comprehensively taxed and we give a lot of examples in the story of you know middle class people who are paying higher tax rates than billionaires 
I want to ask you about income, which plays a key role in all your reporting. Talk to us about why the way income that we're seeing is playing a, a way, a, a very key role in how it's built historically in America, how it's, it's being defined. Right. It's 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 whether you if your your wealth is increasing every year um, because you know you have shares in this massive company that's that's shooting up in value, it doesn't turn into income unless you. You turn it into cash essentially if you uh, sell your stock is the main way that would happen. And uh, over the last uh, decades, there's been kind of a more pattern has grown up of you know, co corporations not paying dividends. So that that means that even if you own a vast amount of stock, you're not getting income every year from from that stock. And billionaires holding on to their their wealth and kind of riding it upwards instead of you know selling a lot and turning it into cash. And the result is that you have people who are worth over $100 billion. You know, Jeff Bezos is on his way to $200 billion. Um, and you look at their taxes, and they look like wealthy people in their taxes, but they don't look like the richest you know, person in the world. Um, and that's, that's how that, that gulf opens up. Lastly, what do you believe is at stake if billionaires continue to be allowed to avoid paying taxes as they accumulate massive amounts of such concentrated wealth? Well, we think first it's an issue of fairness that, as I said, it's a lot easier to tax wages than it is, uh, uh, you know, these other forms of income. So there's there's a basic fairness issue there. And then also, you know, the budget has been stretched in the United States for a number of decades. And we think that, you know, that reality has been uh, not viewed, uh, you know, accurately for lack of details. And so what we're trying to do with these stories is give people a real picture of how the tax system really works for the richest. Paul Keel, reporter at ProPublica, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Vice President Kamala Harris spoke with Univision News anchor Ilya Calderon after her trip to Guatemala and Mexico that focused on stemming migration to the United States. Calderon started by asking how she would respond to migrants in Ciudad Juarez who heard her say they should not come. Here's how Vice President Harris responded. Well, as you know, I've worked on this issue for almost my entire career and have always been an advocate for immigrants, documented and undocumented, in terms of the need to make sure that they are safe, that they are free from violence and harm, and that they are treated with dignity, and that they're given meaningful pathways for those who are seeking citizenship. So this is a longstanding um, part of my work, and, and as an advocate and an ally, of those who are seeking protection from harm. Um, on the issue of asylum, I will tell you, we are very committed as an administration, I am very committed to making sure that, that we provide a safe haven for those who are seeking asylum, period. As a vice president, you haven't uh, visited the border. Um, Texan Congressman Henry Cuellar from your own party is arguing, is urging you and President Biden to visit the border, and I am going to quote him. Somebody needs to listen to our local communities. With all due respect, just coming and doing a staged visit is not enough. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked—I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. And also, if we are going to deal with the problems at the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border, and that is the root causes. So my first trip as Vice President of the United States was to go 
in terms of a foreign trip to Guatemala, to be on the ground there, to address and to, and to be informed of the root causes. Why are the people of Guatemala leaving? Do you have a date for your, for your trip to the border and see the situation with your own eyes? I uh, um, will keep you posted. I have to ask you a question about Nicaragua. Opposition candidates have been detained. Journalists threaten. Protests are banned. Do you think this all points to a di dictatorship led by Daniel Ortega? Well, let me be very clear. The um, Ortega, Ortega regime, um, we are very concerned about what it is doing, and we stand with the people of Nicaragua in their quest, their righteous quest, to have free and fair elections, period. We have seen significant rise of the numbers of uh, Cubans coming um, in rafts, risking their lives. Is the United States, does the United States have any plan to address this situation? Well, listen, you know, part of the challenge that our administration has faced is that under the previous administration, there were four years of deterioration of our immigration system. And so we are in the process of building it back up. But as I said earlier, we will always and are committed to being a safe haven for those who are fleeing harm. And, um, and there's a lot of building back up of, of our immigration system um, to address the needs of many countries. And on the heels of Vice President Harris's visit to the region, nearly 200 migrants being held by traffickers in the border town of Ciudad Juarez were rescued during operations by Mexican authorities this Wednesday. The migrants were from Brazil, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico. Harris, who's been tasked with addressing the migration challenge, has been under pressure from both Republicans and Democrats on the issue. Meanwhile, new data shows a slight increase in the number of migrants apprehension at the southwest region compared to last month. The majority of those migrants were quickly expelled, according to Customs and Border Protection. Here's Pedro Rojas with the latest. Exhausted from a long walk and surrounded by mosquitoes, we found a group of families and unaccompanied migrant children early in the morning who had crossed the South Texas border. Ricardo Ramirez embarked on the journey with his two children from Ecuador. Did you just cross or did you just do it overnight? We did it overnight. How long was the walk? About two and a half hours. Are there more people coming behind you? No, because the Mexican immigration officers took them, Ricardo says. Daisy Garcia, a Salvadorian mom, came with several relatives hoping to stay in the U.S. We feel happy. Thank God we have suffered and traveled several days, but God willing, everything will be okay, this he says. Edgar Lopez, a child from Honduras, spoke about the fears he had during the journey. Yes, my biggest concern was being kidnapped, Edgar says. How long did you walk? Two hours? Like five, because we got lost, Marcela Segura said while walking to board the U.S. Border Patrol bus. In May, U.S. Customs and Border Protection encountered 180,034 persons, a 1% increase over the month of April. 38% were individuals who have at least one prior encounter in the previous 12 months. This is how families and unaccompanied minors continue to cross the South Texas border every day. We got lost, but thank God that gave us wisdom we made it, Alejandra Andrade says. According to CBP, 62% of all migrants encountered at the southwest border in May were expelled under Title 42, 
a rule used by U.S. government to prevent the spread of COVID-19. In La Jolla, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. U News, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. In Peru, leading presidential candidate Keiko Fujimori could be sent to prison. The lead prosecutor in what is called the Odebrecht corruption case asked a judge to send Fujimori back to preventive prison. The prosecutor is arguing that Fujimori violated the terms of her conditional release when she met with a witness in the case. Fujimori, who awaits the results of a very close election, called the prosecutor's request quote, absurd. Twelve of Brazil's 27 states have exceeded 90 percent of their ICU occupancy rate, and that's according to a report from a Brazilian National Research Institute. The report says Brazil presents a high risk, with figures pointing to the overload of the public health system. The state of Mata Grosso in the western central region is at 107% overcapacity. Brazil has over 17 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 480,000 confirmed deaths, according to the latest official figures. Colombian police seized 4,500 pounds of cocaine in the Caribbean Sea on Wednesday night and arrested five Colombians. Large packages of drugs were seized off the coast of San Andres Island, western Colombia. The cocaine was valued at $74 million and was to be received by other criminal groups in Central America. And now to Mexico, where reaction to Emma Coronel's guilty plea are coming in. On Thursday, she pleaded guilty to drug trafficking and money laundering in a U.S. court, admitting to helping run cartel activities for her husband, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Paulina Gomez has the latest reaction from Mexico. Emma, ¿cómo has visto el Chapo en esta primera semana, tu esposo? Emma Coronel pled guilty at a courthouse in Washington, D.C., to helping her husband, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, run the notorious Sinaloa cartel. Her guilty plea could impact Guzman Loera's attempt to appeal his conviction. It worries me so, so much because this is of a huge significance. It could potentially complicate the situation of defending Mr. Joaquin Archivaldo Guzman Loera. And although Emma Coronel's U.S. defense team says she will not cooperate with U.S. intelligence agencies, Guzman family legal advisors say they are worried about how Coronel will benefit after pleading guilty to three charges, including drug trafficking and laundering money. Emma Coronel, sabía. Emma Coronel knows, and attorney Ligman knows, that if you become a protected witness, you will be excused of serving some years, some time, but in exchange for information against her husband, El Chapo Guzman. That's criminal. After partners and friends testified against her father and implicated Emma Coronel in criminal activity, Rosa Isela, Guzman Loera's daughter, explained that betrayals in the criminal world are an everyday thing. It doesn't surprise me because even your own family can turn, therefore I'm not surprised. In the meantime, Guzman Loera's Mexican lawyers challenged Emma Coronel's defense process, 
since she was arrested last February at Dallas Airport outside of D.C. They didn't even ask for a bond in order for her to be set free during her process. Coronel is an American citizen. She's not going to flee. Why would she flee? Guzman family lawyers claimed his two sisters and 93-year-old mom are afraid for Coronel and Guzman's twin daughter's future, as they are very upset the couple are being imprisoned. Paulina Gomez Bulchiner in Mexico City, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.